Welcome, this is Josh Rees with Mile High Church in Lakewood, Colorado. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. For more information about our church, please visit our website, milehighchurch.org. The message today, Meditation for Maniacs. (laughs) Finding Peace in Who You Are. And looking at that title, you may ask yourself, am I a maniac? And I would answer for myself, sometimes. Before I found meditation, uh, my technique was to find someone who was worse off than I was and to say, oh, at least I'm not that bad. You know, there's an old story about a man who's walking uh, by an insane asylum and he sees a, a man behind the gate there and he looks at him and he says, hey, how many of you insane people are in there? And the man thinks about it and he replies, well, how many of you sane people are out there? And it shows with this topic of mental health that some of us are diagnosed, some of us go undiagnosed, but mental health is something that we all have to deal with. We all have to focus on. And what I want to talk about today is a technique, meditation, that helps us even when we're in a place where so many of us have gotten to in these pandemic times. Increased anxiety. Anybody? More disconnection a breaking of intimacy and trusted relationships. Anyone find that? A less feeling that our life belongs to us. Sometimes it feels like I'm living on war time, working and working, even waking up in my sleep with things going on in the world or in my personal life. Anyone relate to that? And I want to tell you today that there's a technique for that. It's at the very core of our teaching. It's, it's the technique of meditation. And it can give you your life back. It can give you yourself back. As Shunru Suzuki, a great meditation teacher, once put it, how can you get your life in order if you yourself are not in order? Meditation is very much the the Buddha's gift to humankind. The Buddha in ancient India tries out every religion and form of asceticism he can, isn't quite making that spiritual connection, and he says, forget it, I'm just going to sit under this tree. I'm just going to sit. And it's there that he encounters um, Mara, this demon-like being that is the, 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 the being of, of illusion. And he has to face these tricks and these sleights of hand and all these illusions of Mara, but he hangs in there He keeps sitting, he stays conscious, and he achieves enlightenment. And I love this story because how we meditate is in that story. We sit down, and what is often the first thing we encounter? Mara, or illusion. The illusion that I'm missing something to make me a whole and complete person. The illusion that my future is written. The illusion that my past somehow keeps me from living fully in the present. And on a really off day, the belief that I am not love-worthy or life-worthy. We don't go to battle in meditation with these illusions. We watch them, but we keep going deeper. That's where the jewels are. That's where the gem is. That's where our spirit begins to awaken. Suzuki also says in meditation, it's not that you resume your true nature, it's that your true nature resumes itself. It comes 
forward. And it allows us to be in this core concept of the science of mind and spirit, what we call the eternal now. Meditation is all about the now moment. An essential belief of ours is this now moment is always greater than what's been before. As great as what's been has been or may have not have been for you, this moment has everything. And yes, there's a lot of content and change that goes through this moment, but it's always here. And it's how we connect with eternity. It's how we connect with the great spirit. Ernest Holmes would say, back of what you are and back of what I am is all there is, surging to express what you are and what I am. And so in our teaching, we believe that God can only exist in one place. Where is it? Now, if your God exists, she must exist here. If your good exists, where must it exist? Right here. Where is your good? Right here. And if your best self exists, it has to exist right here and right now. Too many of us are so caught up in not now that we fail to recognize the power that is right here if we are willing to step more fully in the moment and let go of our version of reality to experience spirit's reality, the true nature of life. And meditation is a means of getting there. I'd like to talk about some mistruths about meditation. For those of us who feel too busy or overwhelmed or that we're too manic to meditate. How many people here have a meditation practice? How many people here struggle with meditation? Good, I, I saw all <laughs> Good, a little struggle's okay here or there. The first mistruth of meditation is that meditation is hard. Meditation is difficult. Some of this is an unintended side effect of the marketplace of meditation, where someone might feel they need to teach you how to twist into a pretzel or to say a mantra in the right perfect way. It becomes too hard. But I'm telling you today, if you have the ability to sit and pay attention to your breath, you're meditating. All that a meditation requires is that you're comfortable and what I would suggest is that there's intentionality to whatever your posture may become. My meditation works something like this. Gets a little slower as I get older. Ah. But I like to cross my legs and sometimes I'll fold my hands as well. The intention here is that it's taking duality or two-ness and bringing into oneness, non-duality. Sometimes I'll straighten up my spine and my head so that it feels like my head is connecting with heaven and my butt to the ground or the earth. Then I close my eyes. This is symbolic of moving inward, honoring still the reality of the senses, but moving into the reality of the soul and the senses that lie within. And lastly, I love to bring my attention to my breathing. Can you do that? Bring your attention to your breath. The first thing I notice is that breath is symbolic of life itself. As I breathe, I experience life as it is. The second meaning 
of bringing my awareness to my breath is that I'm taking my conscious mind and I'm connecting it with my subjective mind. I'm becoming aware of this immense intelligence in my body that I hardly ever have to pay attention to, that breathes my breaths, that beats my heart. And I'm connecting the conscious and the subjective aspects of my intellect. And lastly, perhaps most importantly, as we breathe in and we breathe out, we are bringing into harmony our exterior and our inner world. The more we bring these into harmony, the more our exterior is a reflection of our interior, and we begin to feel harmony. We begin to feel that our life doesn't belong to someone else's plans for us, or the tragedy or the challenges of the day. It belongs to our own soul, and we belong to our own God and our own spirit. And all of a sudden, things start to feel really, really good. For some of us, posture may not be our thing, but I want to share as well that you can meditate at any time, in any moment. And I'm going to give a broad definition of meditation this morning. I'm going to say that meditation is loving the moment. That's what meditation is. It's loving the moment. Can you love the moment? Sometimes we resist it. Sometimes we don't want to love the moment. I'm still caught up back here. It takes a little bit of courage to love the moment because it means you're letting go of the past. But if you can just love the moment, and more specifically, love something before you in the moment, you're meditating. I love this suit. I love this breath. I love my friends. And and you can even do this when you're with a challenging person or you're having a bad day, find something in the moment to love, and that thing will move you forward. You begin to turn back into love from whatever is bothering you. I'm not going to say it's going to stop bothering you, but you begin to transcend it, and you'll remember what this thing called life is really about. Love the moment, and it will carry you forward in a co-creative spirit with your divinity. Another mistruth for me about meditation is that meditation is somehow about trying to become perfect or enlightened. If you're meditating to try to be someone other than what you are, you're going to wind up not who you are every time. (laughs) Enlightenment to me is not a fixed state that we earn through intense spiritual practices. Enlightenment is something that exists in this moment. It's a moment-by-moment choice that is the result of our awareness of being awake. It is said of the Buddha that after he achieved his enlightenment, he walked into a village where everyone realized there's something special about this guy. And one person looked at the Buddha and said, Are you an angel? No. Someone said, Are you a magician? No. Are you some sort of spirit person? No. And then the Buddha answered, I'm awake. I'm awake. That's all enlightenment is, is being awake. And we can achieve it in meditation through continuing to work through all of those unawake part of ourselves to be more conscious of our divinity in the here and now. 
Our goal is not to become perfect, but to become perfectly that which we are. One of my favorite books on meditation in the last 10 years or so is by Dan Harris, now a former Nightline anchor, uh, who wrote a book and does podcasts, all this stuff now called 10% Happier. And it's this very pragmatic idea that meditation isn't going to make you perfect, but it's going to make you 10% happier in all areas of your life. Pretty cool, right? And he shares his own story of actually having a panic attack on live TV doing a news broadcast and how that led him to have to confront his inner self. And meditation was how he did that. Um, He shares talking about uh, this thing called the inner narrator. He says, to be clear, I'm not talking about hearing voices. I'm talking about the internal narrator, the most intimate part of our lives. The voice comes braying in as soon as we open our eyes in the morning and then heckles us all day long with an air horn. It's a fever swamp of urges, desires, and judgments. It's fixated on the past and the future to the detriment of the here and now. It's what has us reaching into the fridge when we're not hungry, losing our temper when we know it's not really in our best interest, and pruning our inboxes when we're ostensibly engaged in conversation with other human beings. Our inner chatter isn't all bad, of course. Sometimes it's creative, generous, or funny. But if we don't pay close attention, which very few of us are taught how to do, it can be a malevolent puppeteer. Do we see that in the world where the people who scream the loudest get the most attention? And sometimes the smartest people don't get hurt at all. It happens in our own minds as well. On the surface is the chatter, the screaming, the problems, the dramas. But meditation gives us that chance to acknowledge it, to listen, but to go deeper, to hear what your heart and your soul have to tell you. Don't let it be some secret hidden voice, but begin to articulate it in your body and your mind, and it will weave a spiritual perfection in your life. Another mistruth, I believe, about meditation is that it takes too long. I don't have time to meditate. I'm too busy being frantic. (laughs) Too busy worrying. And beware, by the way, of what I would call the spiritually buff. I meditated three hours today. I am so one with God right now. So one. You should really try it. Here's some graphs of my theta brain waves. And I, and I bless that. It's great. If you can meditate three hours a day, that's wonderful. But it's not about quantity. It's about quality. It's not about length. It's about depth. Five minutes. Five minutes a day can be a quality and depth-filled enough meditation to take you into your day. Because another core concept of our teaching is our oneness with the divine power. Some people meditate and it's all psychological for us. It's a spiritual practice because it puts us in a place where spirit reveals itself. And we realize that we're connected with something higher than just our belief system. That there is a creative power that we connect with in meditation. That when we connect with it, carries us through the rest of our day. And we're living much happier lives, living in God's universe as opposed to our limited view of the universe. Holmes says of the divine spirit, 
It is not a mythical abstract being living somewhere above this earth. God is a divine presence revealing himself to everyone who believes. Where God is recognized, there is life. Where the presence of God realized, there is action. Where the goodness of God is acknowledged, there is peace. Five minutes a day or love the moment. Just keep loving in the moment. One last mistruth about meditation is that idea that it must be distraction-free. I can't meditate. I got too many distractions. I can't meditate. They start with that jackhammer at 7 a.m. I ain't meditating. I close my eyes and my kids think I'm a jungle gym. They start crawling all over me. I can't meditate. All that happens when I meditate is I forget the stuff I was supposed to do the day before and start worrying about the stuff I'm going to forget to do today. The, the key is actually to embrace your distractions in your meditation. To allow everything that comes into your consciousness to turn you back to presence. To take you back to your breath. To turn you back to divinity. Embrace your distractions. I don't mean by that skip rope with them and follow the weird tangents they take you, but use them as alarms. That jackhammer, it's my alarm to say, thank you, God. Those kids crawling all over me, that's my opportunity to love them in this moment. Maybe they might want to sit for a little bit with me and close their eyes. I'm going to get a pad and paper, and whenever I remember what I forgot, I'm going to write it down and say, thank you. This is a call back to being present, to being here, to being focused, to caring about me and my life again. Not just the life and the duties and the to-do list that I've laid out for me, but to take this time to nurture my being. Don't be afraid to befriend your distractions. One more story about the Buddha, a little bit of folklore here, is that years after his enlightenment, he's living with his assistant, Ananda. And Ananda looks up, and who's walking up to the door? Mara, this demon of illusion. Mara, you get out of here. The Buddha already defeated you under the Bodhi tree. You have no business coming to our home. Mara replies, well, are you saying that your teacher has enemies? And Ananda gets red-faced, and all of a sudden the Buddha heads out the door and says, Mara, my old friend. And they embrace, and they sit down, and the Buddha instructs Ananda to make them some tea. And Ananda does it, but he's cursing that damn Mara the whole time. Uh, they does it, and he sits down there, their, their cups of tea, and Mara says to the Buddha, You know, Buddha, I am so sick of being Mara. I'm so done with just being illusion all the time and trying to scare people and trick people. It's just not who I want to be anymore. And the Buddha says, You think you're tired of being Mara? Try being a Buddha with everyone putting words in your mouth, using what you say to prove their points, and commercializing you all throughout time. <laughs> and it's a little funny at the end, but the point here is that we don't have to fight our problems. We don't have to fight against our distractions. We can be conscious of them, we can be present to them, and we can use them to move us forward as, a, as opposed to hold us backwards. How do we say this in Science of Mind? The universe is for you and not against you. When we can see, not sugarcoating our problems, but we can say, I have the power 
to make this work for me, to make me a better person. We've already achieved the awareness and the awakening we need to move through that challenge. It's January 15th. Am I still allowed to say Happy New Year? Okay, like one or two more days before it gets annoying. If you want to make a serious change and impact in your life, embrace meditation and do these three things. The first, meditate every day. No days off. Just five minutes a day can change your entire life. Can give you back to yourself and help you feel like you're living your own life again. Second, meditate to meditate. Don't meditate for stuff or for anything. Meditate to meditate and allow the benefits to be the organic byproduct of that meditation. Let the health, the abundance, the relationships, the clarity take care of itself. Meditate to meditate. And lastly, love the moment. Love the moment when you're happy. Love the moment when you're upset. Love the moment when you're confused. Find something in this moment to love and you will create a momentum that pulls you out of any dreary limited consciousness and will awaken you again to the fact of the miracle of this world, this universe, this divine being that we all move and have our being in. To close with a thought from Ernest Holmes, if you will take time daily to sense the presence of life within you, to believe in it, to accept it, It will not be long before the life which you have known will gradually disappear and something new will be born, a bigger, better, and more perfect you. You will pass from death into life, from lack and want into greater freedom, from fear into faith. From a sense of being alone, you will pass into a realization of oneness with everything, and you will rejoice in this oneness. Does that sound good or what? Let's have a prayer together. As we move into this prayer, I want to honor the life of a longtime mile higher, Henrietta O'Brien, also known as Hank. She was a fixture at fundraising events and completions of pledge campaigns and adventures in faith, a beloved person who uh, passed away in California recently, and we send love to her daughter, Lori. Also just want to send love to a friend of our church who can't come these days. His name is Spencer Pickens, and I just want Spencer to know that he's loved by his spiritual community. So as we move into this prayer, I invite us to ask ourselves, what in this moment is there for me to love? And to do just that. Our body, our breath, taking the hand of a loved one next to us, just being able to be aware enough to have gratitude for this thing called life. And I know that this thing that we love in this moment, it becomes a vehicle to the sacred. It becomes a medium in which God can love us. For when we love the moment, the moment loves us back. And we live and become in a greater harmony of being. I know that this love is the most powerful force in the universe. As Martin Luther King Jr. said, I'm going to talk about it wherever I go. May we continue this love Let it carry us forward and allow the byproduct of just that to be greater healing, a greater sense of feeling blessed, 
greater prosperity of finances, of just of living. Peace of mind. The peace that is the truth of who we are. Knowing this is true for us and for our loved ones, we embrace this prayer and we embody it in our day-to-day choices, allowing it to demonstrate in incredible ways. So grateful for our prayer practitioners that are here today, available to give prayers after service to affirm these truths with us all together. And so it is. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Mile High Church podcast. This podcast is made possible by the generous contributions from listeners like you. To make a donation, please visit milehighchurch.org.